Hi, I'm Alice and this is the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution, the podcast from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University Belfast. You're listening to episode 22, which was recorded in May 2022 and features an interview carried out by Gerd Wagner, an academic from our School of Pharmacy. Gerd talks to Delphine Wagner, Director of Regulatory Affairs at Kinesis Consulting, about her transition from a chemistry PhD to her career in regulatory affairs. First, I will be talking to Delphine Wagner, who also, if I should put in a disclaimer first, uh, happens to be married to me for 13 years, and uh, I hope it will still remain the same after the interview today. Uh, another disclaimer, both guests are speaking in their personal capacity uh, and not on behalf of their institution or their employer. Okay, Delphine, do you want to say a few words about your background and career trajectory, please? Yes, thank you. So welcome, everyone, and thanks for the warm welcome to this um, chat today. So just a very brief uh, intro. So I'm Delphine. I currently work um, in a consulting company, Kinesis Consulting, um, in regulatory affairs. Before joining Kinesis three and a half years ago, I worked for Amgen, um, a big pharmaceutical company, for about 10 years, again, in the regulatory affairs role. And essentially, my background is chemistry. I, I had a chemistry degree, and then um, I went into academia. So as you can see, I did a couple of postdocs, tried my hand at a patent attorney trainee um, just for one short year, and then I moved to regulatory affairs. So I did the transition from academia to the industry, essentially. I'm based near Cambridge at the moment, and because today we're talking about career and finding your ideal spot. I think it's quite um, nice to see if you hit the sweet spot between what you love doing, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what you think serves a purpose in the world. This is probably where, where you want to be in your career. And you're very lucky to achieve that, I think. But I think that's what we all should strive for. Okay, thank you very much. Um, maybe I'll start by asking you to tell us a bit more. What, what does a director in regulatory affairs actually do? Um, <laughs> um, so a director of regulatory affairs is someone that works in regulatory affairs as director function. And so I should probably explain what regulatory affair entails. And very few people actually know what this job means. And um, it's not usually a good converse conversation starter, but I'll try and, and, and break it down a little bit. So in general terms, and, and that's probably what going to be quite a long answer, but bear with me and this will kind of lay the ground to, to I guess, what we will be talking after that. We look at all um, aspects that surround the development and, and approval of drug for commercialization, but all the regulatory aspects of this. And this spans from the early development of a drug, proof of concept in the lab in, in vitro, uh, to clinical trials in human. And then we also look at some aspects post-approval, which means after a drug has been commercialized. So the job has uh, many shapes and forms. Not everyone in regulatory affairs does the same job, but essentially you may be involved in a strategic aspect of the job. You may be involved in project management or more into a, a writing role. So Currently, my role is a mixture of all these things um, because I work in a, in a consultancy company and we directly advise clients on essentially the best route for 
um, the development of their asset, of their drug. We advise them on the best way to navigate the regulatory system and how to um, improve their opportunities for, for success for, for their drug, both, you know, from a regulatory aspect and also success of, of approval and commercialization. Um, this job can also be done in a pharmaceutical company, so I have experience of, of, of both. And in a pharmaceutical company, you would be doing a, a slightly different role, it's a little bit more compartmentalized. You would work with a cross-functional team, so you would not necessarily need to be an expert in all areas. You would be an expert in your particular regulatory field, and you would work on one or two or three products, but not, not necessarily direct. It, it's not um, a client-based job when you work in, in a big pharma. So there's just sort of two setups for the role and several different jobs within a reg affair position. So your original background is in, in chemistry and you obviously you did a PhD and then postdocs in, in chemistry. Is this a typical uh, profile, a typical route into this career? Do your colleagues have a similar background? No, no not necessarily. I would say the common theme is, is a science degree. And I think a lot of people have a science degree and, and, and up to PhD level. I would say my, my cursus is not typical, but I would also say that a lot of people who want to essentially move on from academia, look into these kind of roles. And this is something that I see, um, you know, currently because we are towards the, the tail end of a recruitment process and the people we are seeking and the people that come to us are academics who have been maybe in postdocs for a number of years and, and want to change career, want something with a, maybe a bit of a more structured career path. So this is what I'm observing. My courses is not necessarily typical. There are also regulatory affairs, degrees, etc., which did not necessarily exist at the time that I chose to move into regulatory affairs. So there are different avenues. Academia, a science degree in academia is, is, is a, a perfect fit. But then, so from what you're saying, it sounds to me that if someone, uh, like you just described, maybe they have spent a few years in, in academia, maybe on one or two postdocs, and they're looking for a, a change of trajectory, it sounds that this is actually quite an attractive route. And, and, and uh, there are sort of different um, entries possible. There is not one route into this field. Is, is that right? That's correct. Yes, I think... So I fell into it uh, by accident rather than by design. So my experience is not necessarily representative of how you arrive at the field, but this is also the experience of other people I have, I have come across that, you know, through iteration process ended up in, in a role in reg affairs. But as I was saying earlier, the, the common theme would be that you would have a, you know, a, a postgraduate degree in the science field. Okay, so in so interesting themes that are emerging here. So maybe postgraduate degree, PhD seems to be a, a good start. And then science, whether that's chemistry or biology or pharmacology, uh, that's also seems to be important. I'm intrigued. You said you fell into this by accident. Do you want to tell us more about the, the accident that, that made you fall into the career? I was going to ask you whether you had a long-term plan and this was the culmination of a 10-year strategy. It doesn't sound like it. Not at all. Um, no, it would be a really nice story. I could probably try and tell it retrospectively as it had happened by design, but I think I have to be honest, it didn't happen by design at all. I really enjoyed um, doing my PhD. I thoroughly enjoyed my postdocs, especially my second postdoc at Oxford. I spent two years there and it was a really amazing experience on, on, on many levels. However, I mean, for me, I very soon 
realized that if I wanted to carry on working in the lab, working in academia, it, it had to be, you know, had to either get a fellowship or apply for lecture role, which uh, did not appeal to me at all, because I knew that ultimately this would mean I would leave the lab and, and end up supervising people. And all I wanted was just to, to be in the lab. So um, I... I thought that I needed to to look into another career, and and for me the theme that 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 was uh, transpiring from when I chose my PhD project to the postdocs that I did was that I wanted to work in um, you know the, the application of of chemistry and science to the development of drugs. So so for me it had to be very applied and it had to be related to drug and drug development. And I thought that maybe the the, the patent attorney traineeship that I took on after my postdoc would kind of fulfill that it, it you know it was obviously a scientific job and you know I would end up working with pharmaceutical companies but that didn't uh, turn out to be um, all that I wanted and it was actually a very dry very dry uh, experience as in like the the topic of of of, of um, patent law is quite dry I had just left the lab and and I ended up in this quite corporate environment and that was quite um, a, a difficult transition. So I, after one year, I, I realized this wasn't for me and I was genuinely unhappy. And I thought, well, I've kind of left the lab. <laughs> I'm in an office desk-based job now. There's law, there's science, there's, you know, regulations. I did a bit of a brainstorming and I thought, well, yeah, maybe this thing that's regulatory affairs sounds like it could be it. And, and, and there was a, a recruitment day at Amgen. Shortly after I, I decided to leave the, the patent job and I went there and, and yeah, the, the rest is history, or at least the, the next 10 years of my life um, was spent there. So was that a difficult decision to leave the, the, the patent uh, role? With a, you didn't have anything lined up at that point, right? No. So, I mean, for me, the first junction, if you wish, was to decide to leave the lab. And that was particularly difficult to make because I, I, it's an environment I really enjoyed. Um, but I, I, I saw no future. So, you know, I, I thought this was, this had to be done. And, um, and then yes, leaving the patent job after having left the lab. So two changes in, in short sequence were, were quite difficult. But once I was, um, at Amgen and started this new role and I felt that there was a, a trajectory, a career path and, understood what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I felt like I was learning. For me, that, that really carried me through. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about the prerequisites before you took up the different roles and, and what was expected perhaps, but also like uh, how the training, once you were in the position, how that happened? I, I'm not quite sure we, whether we have time to take it for all three career stages, maybe the is the current one the best one to focus on or the one at Amgen? No, I think I can cover both yet. Um, I think in terms of prerequisites for, for entering that type of role, um, and, I, and I can draw on, on the recruitment experience with just having, there is not necessarily an expectation that coming out of your PhD or your postdoc, you would know anything about regulatory affairs. So a lot of these entry jobs uh, do not require uh, knowledge uh, apart from, you know, a keen interest in science, maybe in the drug development, having a clue or two about it, because I was definitely asked about that um, in my interview at Amgen. You know, you need to 
know your way a little bit around what drug development means. Um, but there is no expectation that you would know much about that. Just really a good, solid science background is really what is required. And, and this is also what we expect when we recruit in my company at the moment for, for entry roles. Yeah, no, no prerequisite knowledge. Um, you did mention that one of the, as you transition from the postdoc to your, your first role, the corporate environment was something which was maybe a bit difficult. And then you also worked in regulatory affairs for a quite big international company and now for a smaller consultancy. Can you maybe compare, especially sort of the, the dynamic in a smaller team in the consultancy with the, the dynamic in, in a bigger international company? Yeah. Did you want me to comment on leaving the lab and just moving to the corporate? That was going to be my next question. <laughs> I'll start with that. Okay. So this is, and I want to just mention that because this is something again that we discuss quite a lot in the with the people we interview um, currently, who whom we are recruiting from academia. Essentially, we always spend a little bit of time explaining about the fact that we. <laughs> so the person that generally uh, conducts the interview with me also comes from academia and and several other people in in my company. So we we tend to explain that we we understand the the trajectory. We understand what it means to move from the lab to a desk. It's it's not straightforward, but I suppose if you are naturally organized, which I was, I think, but it still was a, a painful transition, that will help, uh, you know, being organized, being focused, being able to work alone, but also interact well in teams are important skills to have. And that will carry you through um, uh, your career, essentially. I, I don't really have any tip, but it is just a different environment to get used to. You know, no one forced me to to wear a suit or or anything. Uh, you know, because I was used to going to the lab in in very relaxed clothes. There's you know, there's a little bit of a change in in the way you appear, and but there there's nothing too too drastic. It's more just a, a mindset and being able to you know es essentially to do a desk based job. So that's that's the first aspect. There's, there's a transition, but. I don't really have any sort of recipe on, on how to make that successful draw on your personal skills. Just quickly bringing in this one question, what is the thing you missed the most or did at the time missed the most from your postdoc having made the transition? Um, <laughs> the flexibility of lab work. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially um, when I was working in Oxford, I it was just uh, an amazing degree of freedom in um, the thinking process, the experiments I would conduct, the time I would spend on, on what it, it was. You know, I, I was very free on how I organized my time. And that was just, you know, great. And obviously, yes, moving on to, to a, a job where you have, uh, you know, a calendar with meetings popping up and you have to be on time and, and you have to, yeah, be, be organized. You make it sound as if a postdoc doesn't have to be organized or doesn't have to be on time. I, I would be quite upset if that was the attitude of my postdocs. But I'm very sorry about that. This this is not what I'm trying to say. Um, it was more I was free to spend my evenings working on my project. No, I I, I completely I, I know understand what, what you mean, and, and I'm sure the the audience does as well. I mean the the, the flexibility and and the, the control to organize and indeed I, I guess drive your project. I think is is something which I guess to most people, uh, to most postdocs will be very appealing. And I guess you don't have that quite in the same form 
when you move on to like a, a role like you currently have. So do you want to then maybe compare a little bit um, sort of in in the, the two regulatory uh, affairs uh, roles, like in the smaller and the, the, the bigger company and, and how that played played out in, in the day to day? Yes. Um, so it's it's very different. And I think, again, the transition between the, the big pharma and the smaller consulting environment was probably a bigger transition than I expected, actually. And then it took me quite some time to get used to new ways of working. Um, as I was explaining a little bit at the beginning, working in a, in a big pharma, you, you are always part of a cross-functional team. And by this, I mean, you would have to, you would be your the regulatory affair expert or representative for the product you've been assigned to. And then you may work with people who are expert in, in CMC, which is the manufacturing chemistry side of things. You would work with clinicians who are involved directly in the clinical trial of the drug. You would work with safety experts and, and all these people come together to form the, the product team. So your role is quite compartmentalized. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It is just very different from the, the consulting role. And um, there is, you know, in, in the company, there's also very clear, you know, career, career progression, career path. There is not so much direct training per se. I think there was like some question earlier about, about training. It is more a training on the job. You are sent to, uh, you know, introductory courses. So, for example, I was sent to a, a two or three day course, which is like an intro in regulatory affairs course. And people generally get sent onto that when they, they start this type of role without prior knowledge. But there is the, the training on the job is the most important component. Moving on to the consultancy type of job, it is a client-based uh, role. So you are at the service of a client and you are here to help them and advise them uh, to the best of your ability, navigate their way around the regulatory system. You help them and advise them on their drug development uh, path. The role means that you take many different hats, many more different hats than you would in, in a pharmaceutical company. So first of all, you have different projects and different clients and every client will come with their own drug essentially. And so you get to touch. So for, for, for me personally, this is a really exciting role and there's really never a dull moment because you may move from a, you know, an innovative pediatric drug in on oncology um, to something working on Alzheimer or a hypertension drug, diabetes. Um, you know what, we, we touch a lot of therapeutic areas lot of different types of, of, of entities. You know, it could be an, a new biotech product or an old molecule that's been on the market for years. So there is a huge variety of what you, you, you to get your hands on. And then the role itself, you do not have this team of experts or you, you, you do have external experts that you can call upon, but you have to have a certain breadth of knowledge once you, I guess, not at entry level, but obviously as you progress in that role, uh, to be able to, yes, uh, lead conversations with clients, for example, and then you may be bringing on experts to help you on specific aspects. So the specific demands are then quite different in the in the different environments, sort of bigger company versus consultancy. Would you advise someone who is maybe thinking about a career in this field in general to think about this as well already at the point of application, whether they want to work maybe for a bigger company in, in an environment you described or whether maybe a smaller team would be a better fit for them? Or, or do you think it's more important just to get a foot in the door and then take it from there? I would probably advise a second option because I 
personally had I didn't know much about the job so if you had asked me what type of environment or role I would have wanted to have at that I, I wouldn't have been able to, to decide I think you know maybe get a foot in the door get a feel for what this type of job entails and then you will understand the different possibilities and avenues you know the people we recruit for example in the consultancy we are well aware that they may move on to a, a job in the industry so this you know it is also due to personal preference okay um, I mean, talking about the the specifics, um, it, we've talked about sort of the general area and this general field. But how, how did you actually go about finding sort of specific roles and specific positions you you wanted to apply for? I mean, basically, how did you get the job at Amgen, and then how did you move on to the role at at uh, K- uh, Kinesis? So. Um... Uh, <laughs> this is a difficult question uh, because, again, my, I think my personal experience is not necessarily representative, but I know that there is an abundance of jobs in regulatory affairs. Every time I look, there is jobs advertised on LinkedIn. Um, recruitment agencies uh, specialized in the science sector will have a lot of roles as well. Um, so I, I get regularly contacted, but I also know that we advertise through um, those people. Um, or we have in the past. So I think just any uh, search uh, engine that you may want with, you you know, you may use a recruitment agency, but as I said, these rules are advertised quite broadly, I would think. Where where would you direct sort of uh, someone who who would look for the first time in that area to, you mentioned LinkedIn and you mentioned networks, but that's all, I guess, maybe more effective if you're already sort of established in, in the field. But if someone is trying to get into the field for the first time, where would you direct them to? What are sort of typical? What, so what I, so yes, you're triggering my memory. What I did, I think, um, as well, when I first looked into that, and, and the reason is, you know, this was 15 years ago. So things have moved on in terms of the way roles are advertised. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily best place to 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 um to talk about this but i i know that at the time i knew um the type of company i wanted to work for and i looked on their website so i, I looked on the website of amgen and look on pharmaceutical companies website they will always have a tab for um open positions and i applied through that oh so you would recommend actually targeting individual employers specifically and then okay it does work yes Yes. Um, and I think, you know, that also means that your application is quite targeted. Um, I mean, for me, I, as I said, I, I knew this was a type of company that had values and, and type of drugs that I wanted to, to touch on. So I definitely looked at, at that as well. This is an interesting point, actually. So you mentioned sort of targeting your application to a particular employer. How important is this? Also, when you look at maybe your current experience, you said you just finished a, a recruitment round. And and I guess you've probably got a range of different types of applications. Do you just want to comment on this? Yes, I, I think this is a, a, a complete non-negotiable aspect of what your cover letter or your little intro section in your CV should 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 mention. Um, you must have read on the company. You must know roughly what they're doing. Uh, it cannot appear that the CV we have in our hands is one of 50 CV that you've sent identical. This just does not look well. And it shows if someone basically has a generic application and they send it to... Absolutely. 
it shows. And then even if you go to the interview stage, we will ask, why us? You know, why have you chosen to apply for us? You know, there are other jobs around this. So, you know, you need to be able to actually explain why you are interested in this role. And, and you know, just as a general advice, apply to places that you genuinely feel something for, not randomly, because this is this will show and, and this matters to you. You know, then you get the job somewhere that you genuinely wanted to to be. What is the best part of your uh, about your current job? What gives you the most satisfaction? So for me personally, um, it's the science and what I explained a little bit earlier, the, the type of products that I get to work on. Uh, you know, it can be new chemical entities, reformulating drug, um, advanced therapies. It is really quite exciting if you have you are science minded and this kind of stuff you know <laughs> gets you going in the morning um so for me the, the the science and what it does and and the type of drugs i get to work on um is extremely exciting and then you know you get to work with extremely smart people which is always a bonus yes definitely that's for me that's that that beats everything so that's that's I think an important takeaway that even if uh, I don't know as a postdoc you move on from a lab based environment to maybe a desk based job it doesn't mean leaving the science behind quite the contrary actually science clearly in your line of work is is central to everything you are doing uh, even if it's not hands on experimental science in in that sense anymore um, maybe just one or two sort of final questions. Um, how has the pandemic changed sort of how you do things in your in your line of work? Um, I'm very glad you asked that question, mainly because uh, <laughs> the pandemic did not necessarily affect n negatively the, the the company where where I work. Um, it's a job that mostly can be done remotely, so this is also something to bear in mind when you apply for these roles. You you may be able to ask for a hybrid working environment, which you know is more and more the norm these days. So the, the job does not necessarily require a lot of face-to-face -face as long as you're you know, good on Zoom or good on Teams. Um, this is um, this is totally fine. Uh, you know we saw a little dip um, uh, at the height of the pandemic, but generally you know <laughs> drug development did not stop as a result. And then conversely. The field of regulatory affairs got talked about quite a lot. Uh, unfortunately, pretty much everyone became an expert in vaccine approval, um, so that's that's the drawback. Um, and uh, you know, I've had the most bizarre conversations with uh, many people uh, <laughs> about this and uh, many misconceptions. But regulatory affairs and the drug approval process was talked <laughs> um, ad nauseum um, during that period of all the COVID vaccines being approved. So that was a, a good time to promote what we do. But so the this the the remote working and and hybrid model aspect, uh, which was clearly sort of precipitated by the pandemic, you would say was was an important outcome and and may well be something that will stay. Um, th these opportunities and also if someone is applying for these type of roles and this is important to them, it's something they can ask about. I yeah definitely I. I do think that if you have an, an, an entry-level role in, in a new company and you're learning about the field, it's always good to be uh, on site and be part of the team to you know, foster better learning and, and interaction with the team. And that's always what we expect that, at least at the beginning, 
people are around, but as you get more independent and, you know, some of the job really means focusing on writing and and, and one-on-one time between you and your laptop, essentially, that can be done remotely. So there are some aspects of, of the job that can be taken home. And that's something that maybe once you're a little bit established in the career, you can aspire to have if this is what you're after. And I think that a lot more and more people nowadays expect that. Okay, thank you very much. I think we probably have to leave it at that. Um, I hope we did cover all the the most important aspects for for our audience. But for now, can I thank you, Delphine, and thanks to Alice for organizing. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and invite you to check our episodes list for more interviews and careers on our website at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast PDC. Bye.